0: Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for
1: D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play.
0: If it's D&D related, we cover it here.
1: Lot of subscription services out there that deliver things right to your door these days veggies movies meat pet toys artisanal jams collectibles rpgs pictures of cool places music butter dice wait what there is literally only one thing on that list that would make my life complete a monthly subscription service for dice dice envy has subscription services for Dice. They send you a unique set every single month right to your house. Go check out their subscriptions. Or if you just want to go buy some of their unique and interesting dice, head over to DiceEnvy.com and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. So, of course big news for Dungeons and Dragons is Dragon Heist. This adventure was announced on a long-running event called Stream of Many Eyes. Perhaps you saw it with the hashtag SomeDND. So this event has been going on for a few weeks. It's mainly on Twitch, but has a had a massive live event. Uh, In Los Angeles featuring a bunch of podcasts such as the folks from Critical Role, the High Rollers, Force Grey, the entire cast of Dice Camera Action, the ladies from Girls Guts Glory, as well as some new ones called Rivals of Waterdeep and Dark and Dicey. So I have uh, from first-hand accounts of a dear friend who went to this event that they had a soundstage with a live setup of water deep and they had set it up with uh stores and taverns and they had actors there providing you know scenes and doing sword fights and if you went to the stream of many eyes event in la you paid for your ticket and then you got to go and hang out in this kind of living water deep area then you went and saw one of the many podcasts that was featured as part of the stream of many eyes. And then you got to hang out sort of in the back lot with everybody from your group and meet some of the actors and meet some D&D nobility, as it were. And this was all to announce uh, Dragon Heist, the new adventure coming out this fall from uh, Wizards of the Coast. It will be the successor to Tomb of Annihilation, and it's supposed to be a really different adventure from some of the other stuff we've seen out of Wiz- Wizards of the Coast.
0: Now, some of the notable figures that were there in costume that you might have seen their picture but not recognized them were Chris Lindsay, who is the head of organized play, was there as Mert the Moneylender which he also brought back for an encore performance at Origins during the D&D Open, which we'll talk more about in just a little bit. Also, Rudy Rutenberg, which you may have seen from Maze Arcana, played our good friend Durnan, the barkeep, at the Yawning Portal Tavern, which most of us should be familiar with from the book of the same name, Tales from the Yawning Portal, which came out about a, a year and a half ago. Now, um, the Stream of Mini Eyes was a wonderful event. There are many pictures of it up online if you want to check it out, see the sets, uh, see some of the footage from the streams that kinda had the premiere of the content from Dragon Heist are available on Twitch, video on demand. highly recommend checking out all of that wonderful, beautiful scenery and backdrops, and the costumes were top-grade as well.
1: So, one of the interesting things about Dragon Heist is that it's a very different adventure, as I said, from some of the other adventures. For instance, in Princes of the Apocalypse, you're saving the world from these elemental forces, and from uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen, you're saving the world from Tiamat coming back, and in out of the Abyss, even lords are attacking. In uh, Tomb Annihilation, you have a lich that's taking over the world with a death curse. In Dragon Heist, the scope is very small. It is set in Waterdeep, and from what we can tell, it is exactly what the, the title set sa- he- says, which is a dragon heist. Now, the piece of information you need is that a gold coin in Waterdeep is called a dragon. So this adventure from the rumors thus far will be set entirely in Waterdeep and it's going to give your DM a toolbox for running urban adventures in Waterdeep. Uh, According to Merrick Blackman on his excellent blog that it has more downtime activities that your characters can engage in like the ones from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. From what we understand thus far the the bad guys, uh, there are four different bad guys, and you, your DM will choose which one you're going to be up against. So that way, the adventure has some replayability, and in order to see all the content, you will have to replay it. Uh, folks are super excited because apparently the rumor is that your PCs will get to own their own tavern, and player housing is always a big deal. The authors uh, include James Intercasso and James Heck, who have been uh, working with organized play and in the D&D sort of ecosphere for a while. Uh, According to uh, Sci-Fi Wire and Greg Tito's comments there, it's the adventure is sort of like Gangs of New York meets Dan Brown. Uh, We've also heard it called uh, a lot like Oceans 11, 8, 452, 3.14, whatever they're up to now, and the Italian job. And it gives some insight into the seedy underbelly and criminal architecture of Waterdeep itself.
0: So what I was reading on an article on IGN kind of described it also an interesting way i thought as an urban treasure hunt that's going to require players to use diplomacy intrigue stealth and their wits to follow clues and solve puzzles uh the author there kind of thought it sounded like a fantasy oceans 11 style caper that we never knew we needed in our lives and i completely agree with him
1: yeah i'm super excited about it like i said it's going to be a real change in direction for dungeons and dragons But at its root, Dungeons & Dragons is a role-playing game, and the heist architecture lends itself to a lot of good role-playing, I think.
0: And it's pretty exciting for a change to not have some great calamity affecting the realms.
1: Right? Like, how many calamities can there be? Uh, Apparently a lot.
0: Uh, More than I can count on one hand.
1: Yeah, yeah. So in order to really appreciate Dragon Heist, it's helpful to have a little bit of background about Waterdeep going into it. So in current times, Waterdeep is ruled by a woman called Leryl Silverhand, who is the open lord of Waterdeep and putatively the head of the Lord's Alliance, which is a faction in uh, Faerun that seeks to maintain the status quo and make sure uh, civil order is maintained in the cities and that the taxes are paid on time. Sort of a Plutocracy times times the man. It's uh it's definitely one of the big movers and shakers in Faerun, and if you play organized play, it's one of the factions in organized play. So Laryl Silverhand uh, is the open lord of Waterdeep, like I said, and she took over from the corrupt and selfish Lord Neverember. Now Lord Neverember sort of left uh, Waterdeep shortly before the police got him and left to go rebuild Neverwinter. Um, According to uh, James Heck on one of his articles on D&D Beyond about Waterdeep, uh, Laryl Silverhand helped defeat Tiamat and the Cult of the Dragon. So it ties in, uh, sort of at least, with some of the other stuff that Wizards of the Coast has written. Now, Ed Greenwood, who is the father of the Forgotten Realms and whose novels have brought this world to life, his most recent novel, uh, about a year and a half ago that it came out, is called Death Masks, and it's about Laryl Silverhand and how she governs Waterdeep and uh, ha- some of her adventures. So it's uh, it might be an interesting read if you're if you're looking forward to the adventure.
0: Actually, came out June twenty sixteen, and I found it an interesting read, having just finished it myself so it kind of goes in a little bit on uh, more of the governance of waterdeep how she's the open lord and then there are the masked lords of the city which are not known in public to the rest of the uh, townspeople i guess as it were um now she's the reigning open lord right But the Mask Lords, if uh, if you follow the backstory from any of the novels or any of the other Forgotten Realms lore, actually tend to have more of a say in the governance as far as making decisions about the city. They vote on the matters and she could have a tie-breaking vote or whatnot, um, which I think actually uh, Joey covered in his article again on uh, D&D Beyond the Background there for Waterdeep.
1: Yeah, so it's like she's the open lord, so everybody brings their problems to her, but the mask lords are the ones that actually make the decisions, and they're not encumbered by uh, by having to deal with the people. Uh, the to become a mask lord, you pretty much have to murder or buy out a previous mask lord. So there's sort of a sort of a rough crowd to get in with. And it's a big secret who in Waterdeep is a is a masked lord. Maybe we'll get a chance to find out more about that in Dragon Heist because the masked lords are a real interesting sort of feature of the, the government of Waterdeep. Right.
0: They do tend to be either nobility or high-ranking guild members or people of that nature. And um, they also tend to be prime targets for assassination if their identity as a masked lord is revealed somehow.
1: Yeah, I imagine that'd make it pretty uncomfortable if all your constituents suddenly knew who and where you were, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, one other interesting uh, point of Waterdeep background: uh, we we know that the yawning portal is part of Waterdeep. It's a it's an adventurer's bar in Waterdeep that is constructed over the entrance to a huge and fantastic dungeon called Undermountain, which is important because the book after Dragon Heist will be about Undermelton. Uh, and it's supposedly the barkeep, Durnan, uh, who Rudy played at the Stream of Many Eyes, is a former adventurer. Mm, that is true. Now we're going to a special section of the podcast called The Spoiler Section. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers, pause and fast forward... We'll tell you how long you have to fast forward or where you need to skip to in the podcast. But this is a spoiler. This is a spoiler. Turn away, because this is a spoiler. All right. So if you look on the Forgotten Realms Wiki or at James Hex articles on d and Beyond, you can find out a little more about Dragon Heist. So, we know that the adventure starts off with Bolothamp Gadarm, according to the Forgotten Realms Wiki. Bolothamp, if you don't know him already, uh, is the author of Bolo's Guide to Everything. And while he's quite knowledgeable, he's sort of, oh, what would you say, bumbling? Maybe
0: a little bit bumbling, but awfully lovable.
1: Yes, super lovable. Everybody likes him, but he's not super effective, which is why uh, Elminster and others leave him snarky notes and Bullo's Guide to Everything. So I mentioned before that there are four different villains for Dragon Heist. They have been detailed on D&D Beyond. So the four villains are the Castle Lantern Noble family, who are demon worshippers, the Xanathar, as in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, as in the Beholder, Jarl Axel Benir, who is a male drow, who has uh, his own sort of adventuring company called Bregan d'Arth, and uh, is sort of a...
0: He's got a lot of ties back to Luskin, and he was yeah. mentioned briefly in Storm King's Thunder adventure book. If you've played through that, you might have re- encountered him there.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And He's got a long history in the... Um... In the novels. Yeah, in the novels and through Forgotten Realms. In fact, Gromph Benir, who is the uh, mage in the back half of Out of the Abyss, obviously is the same house as this guy, so he's pretty well connected. And then the last bad guy is uh, a clone of the evil Zentarum wizard, Mansheen. Or is he the clone? <laughs> or is he the clone? See, if you're a clone, do you know you're a clone, Jenny?
0: I would like to think I would know I was a clone, but if I had my memories, then how would I know?
1: Right, right. So let me talk a little bit about each one of these these villains to kind of tease you yeah. on what you will be able to get your GM hooks into when you start running this. So uh, Lord Victorio and Lady Amalia Castellanter are uh, rich, wealthy Waterdavians, and uh, James Heck compares them to the Lannisters in game of thrones or james bond's goldfinger um, they're demon worshippers and i i don't know how they're going to get a hold of the dragons and heist and oppose the player characters but it seems like they would have the law on their side because they have an incredible amount of money and uh as i said they're uh they're demon worshippers so um who knows what sort of uh uh, supernatural abilities they will have.
0: Or if they've got the backing of any of the factions behind them. That would be very interesting.
1: Right? And and again, so these have um, these guys have all the money in the world. What do they need more money for? Well, I mean, I guess if you have money, more money is only better, right? I
0: think that's what everyone strives for, right?
1: Right? Particularly in Waterdeep. So who knows? We're not sure how that will play out. The next option up for bids among our rogues gallery is the Xanathar. Uh, so Zan- the Xanathar has the, um, uh, I guess, notoriety to have been on the cover of three different books from Wizards of the Coast. The Monster Manual, uh, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and supposedly he's going to be on the cover of Dr- Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So, we know he's a beholder. It is a beholder. I don't think beholders...
0: I don't do think beholders me. have gender. Now, the Xanathar, though, as in a bit of an interesting backstory. Mm-hmm. The Xanathar may or may not have been any number of actual beholders, taking on that name as more of a mantle.
1: Oh, neat. Oh, neat. So, sort of like the Dread Pirate Xanathar,
0: huh? Yes, the Dread Pirate Roberts. I mean, Xanathar. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: Uh, so we, we know that Xanathar has a goldfish named Silgar that he is super, super in love with. And uh, I, I kind of hope Silgar makes a... Uh...
0: Who may or may not be the original Silgar.
1: Well, I mean, whose mom didn't do that with her goldfish, right?
0: All goldfish look the same.
1: They do well. I mean, most. I mean, unless they have those like big swollen eyes or like their brains are coming out of their head.
0: But I'm pretty sure that if something happens to Silgar, you better have Silgar number, you know, in plus one ready.
1: Right. <laughs> right. So Xanathar is supposed to be super intelligent and extremely paranoid, especially given the the character notes in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it will oppose our brave hero. So the third option among our, our potential villains, as we mentioned, was Manchun. So Manchun is, is part of the Zintarum, mm-hmm. and putatively the head of the Zintarum. And the question is, why why does he need gold? I mean, sure, right, you're a wizard, you need gold because you gotta buy it because you got a scribe spell, right?
0: And spell components don't just buy themselves.
1: I guess. I guess. But I, you know, there's got to be easier ways to get the money as this. So, um, so it would be interesting to see how, um, how a a hyper intelligent, uh, well-connected Manshoon opposes the PCs. I bet he's got a lot of minions. He seems like a minions kind of guy to you.
0: I mean, most of the faction people seem like minions people to me. I mean, they're all very well connected, and they have a plethora of people at their beck and call. So I'm thinking that that seems like a likely candidate.
1: Yes. Lots lots of minions. Lots of minions. Lots of disposable minions.
0: Well, I mean, aren't all minions disposable?
1: I guess it's, it's part of the, yes. They all wear red shirts. They're all disposable.
0: Except for my MomoCon minions. Absolutely irreplaceable.
1: Convention minions are different. <laughs> <laughs> True. Valuable, beloved, and highly trained. Absolutely irreplaceable.
0: We love them.
1: We love them. So our final option among our villains for uh for Dragonheist is Jaraxel, Jaraxel Benir, and I have to admit I kind of I'm kind of a fan. I'm kind of a fan.
0: I'm a huge fan! He's like this roguish character. He's super suave and charming. I mean, how else does he get a whole band of mercenaries to follow at his beck and call?
1: How else does he get out of Minzo Baranzi? And have what? you seen the hat in the, the promo art? The hat is just absolutely delightful.
0: If he'll let me you wear the what? hat, I'll do what he asks.
1: I know, right? Well, he's got to know how to uh, how to deal with women anyhow. Because, like I said, he got out of menzo Baranzian, And that is a whole society of people that want to kill people like him.
0: That is absolutely correct. He's a very smart fellow. So I'm interested in seeing how his role in the books plays out. And exactly what tricks he has up his
1: sleeve. Because he's a um, he's a creation of R.A. Salvatore, not, right. not Ed Greenwood.
0: Yeah, he is an R.A. Salvatore creation. He has a lot of backstory. He has a huge fan base. People love Jarl Axel. So I'm very interested in seeing the reactions if something untoward were to happen to him.
1: Right? Right. He also used to hang out with Artemis and Trary, and uh, that is another hard fangirl on my account. I I really like those characters. So like you said, he used to be, uh, or maybe still is for all we know, uh, the... Uh, ruler of Luskin So if you're a drow And you're kind of like a Almost Robin Hood Esque character What are you doing in Dragon In Waterdeep trying to steal A bunch of gold pieces Pirate ships don't pay for themselves Well pirate ships do not pay for themselves But again uh, it seems like He's got a lot of irons in the fire It'll be interesting to see how he deals With the PCs Cause like Manchun Disintegrate right like, you know, power word kill.
0: I think that's probably where Bray and Darth is going to come in. Well, maybe. So, like,
1: so Minshun is just going to vaporize PCs. Use, you know, terrible magic spells and, and minions. Uh, Xanathar has, like, whole gangs that around it. So, um, the the, the Castle Lanterns, like, these very wealthy people. I picture them hiring a bunch of thugs and then maybe... ...stepping in to take on the PCs themselves. But Throwing I, the
0: bodies into the sewers. Right? Right?
1: But I don't know, I, like... I, I think Jar would be the type to try and... ...buffalo the PCs without getting into a fight. Or try to bluff them. Or bluff them. Or bluff them. He
0: seems, he seems like he would be the ultimate... ...at trying to pull a quick one on them. Master of Deception
1: yes yes so it seems like the different villains will really flavor uh the different paths through through the adventure
0: i think so too and from what i'm told there's a different flavor to just to whichever path you take um so the artwork that i've seen and the articles and everything seems to kind of lend credence to that, that whichever villain you choose, well, path you take that leads to a certain villain, each of them has a completely different flavor. So I'm really excited to play this adventure at least four times.
1: Oh, at least. At least. And if it, I, the other, well, I think we're heading out of spoiler, spoiler zone. Because there's other things I want to talk about that are not spoilers, like level bands and all that kind of stuff. Right, go ahead. Alright, we're leaving the spoiler zone, we're leaving the spoiler zone, we're leaving the spoiler zone, we're out of the spoiler zone. We'll have to go back and tell people how long the spoilers are when we're done. Mm. So other things about, about Dragon Heist is that it's only, only, air quotes, only, for levels one through five, which is pretty interesting because that's the equivalent to the first chapter of Storm King's Thunder or maybe uh, Death House in the first part of the village of Barovia in Curse of Strahd. So it's it's setting you up for the rest of your careers adventure.
0: It's a little more um, similar as far as the level band and probably the cadence to Horde of the Dragon Queen. You get yeah, that r- yeah. really good classic adventuringville. Take your time. Get to know where you're at. Get to know what you are as an adventurer because there are bigger things in the world that you need to be prepared for.
1: Absolutely. And so because it's level 1 to 5, it sets you up for the sequel to Dragon Heist, which is not Dragon Heist Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead, it's called Dungeon of the Mad Mage, It's for level six through 20. And it's the uh, Undermountain Dungeon that I mentioned earlier. So uh, there's a big mountain kind of on the uh, west hand side of Waterdeep towards the ocean. And under it is this huge dungeon that has been there for five editions now. Four editions, five editions.
0: As far as I know, it's always been
1: there in my mind. Yeah, so probably all five editions. And uh, it has been detailed in various box sets, adventures, books, and it has whatever you have.
0: Allegedly, though, never been detailed like we are going to see it in this book. There are oh gosh, I forgot how many specific levels of the Undermountain, but every single level of the Undermountain will be detailed out in this book, which is something that's never been done before. Some of them only have a mere sentence of description about them. Oh, this level has cages of rats. I don't know.
1: (laughs) According to geekdad.com, the Dungeons of the Mad Mage will detail Halister Blackcloak, which is the Mad Mage himself. Uh, You might remember him from, if you play Organized Play, From the D&D open from 2017. He was the big bad guy at the end.
0: 2016. The first one.
1: Oh, you're right. 2016. 2016. You're entirely right. So the open from a couple years ago. So according to Geek Dad, like I said, each level has a completely different setting. And I'm not not really sure what that means, but I guess we're going to find out.
0: I mean, Hallister was this crazy, insane wizard, super intelligent, super detailed. He did not want anyone in his domain. If you read the books, if you go through his backstory, and how he became the Mad Mage, he devised all of these devious contraptions, and in case you were smart enough to figure one out, each single level was completely different. Like, say there's uh, Clockwork Machinations on one level. That's that level. You're not gonna find a similar thing on another. So you've got to be prepared for everything an evil wizard's gonna throw at you.
1: Which is, you know, ninth level spells. Wish it gets really super, super crazy.
0: I mean, anything he can dream up, I think we're gonna find it in the under dungeon, in the undermountain dungeons.
1: Absolutely. So Dragon Heist comes out September sixteenth, or pardon me, September sixth. And uh, Dungeon of the Madge- Mad Mage comes out November 20th, just in time for your Thanksgiving holiday. So about two,
0: two weeks before each of those for hobby stores, though, if we follow the pattern.
1: Yes, that's, that's very likely. Um, so you'll have, I don't know, two months maybe to finish two and a half months to finish uh, uh, Dragon Heist before you start Dungeon of the Mad Mage it should
0: be plenty of time to kind of take your way savor the adventure really get a feel for water deep and the people contained therein and also probably to find yourself a stash of dragons
1: a huge stash of dragons
0: i've got big plans for what i'm gonna do with my dragons it involves paying off my adventuring debt
1: <laughs> <laughs> actually that'd be a great question to put to our listeners if your character ends up with a huge pile of water deep dragons, gold coins, what would your adventurer do with it? So, Jenny, you said Calypso would play- pay off her debts. Uh,
0: Cal- Calypso obviously won't be playing through it because it's one through five. But if any of Calypso's friends play through it, or the citizens of Flan, they'll welcome to bring them back to her to pay off some of the debts that the city has incurred through sending out adventurers here there and all around the realms we're gonna you know bring Flan back to the glory and buy more goats
1: yes yes of course
0: yes yes of course but oh no absolutely for the for the listeners you know feel free to tell us what you're gonna do with your stash of dragons um you'll find our twitter information at the end on the show notes on the website uh tweet us tell us we want to hear what you're going to do with your gold Or, you know, put it in a comment on the website. We'd love to hear.
1: Yep, and maybe if we get some really good suggestions, we'll talk about them next time.
0: Oh, good idea. No, I'd love to do that. I think think we're ready to talk about Origins then, right?
1: Oh my gosh, Origins was so much fun!
0: Origins was the most fun. If you weren't at Origins, don't fret. We're going to tell you about everything you missed and where you, not where you can find, but that you can find these super special events going forward. Fear not, they were not limited to Origins only. Now, there were two really cool special events and, of course, the unveiling of some other new content and stuff that went on at Origins. But but we're going to focus on the two big uh, special events, the D&D Open and the D&D Epic titled The Red War. I want to start with the D&D Open because it ties into Dragon Heist. So, D&D Open this year was called Gangs of Waterdeep. And if you've played either of the two previous D&D opens for 5th edition. Um, the Undermountain one featuring Hallister that we mentioned briefly or the Lost Temples of Lake Lua which was kind of the season intro to Chult that premiered last year at Origins and played at numerous conventions across the country and uh, even a couple other places in the world since then. Yeah, and, then it, it,
1: and the last one, Lost Temples of Lake Lua was super important, or super interesting at least, because it was how the Death Curse got started.
0: It was. It was great. So, the D&D Open this year, Gangs of Waterdeep, was completely different from either of those Opens. So if you played those, then you found five of your closest old friends, new friends, doesn't matter, they're your friends now, you're playing at the Open with them. And you suited up for battle. Sweet, sweet, glorious combat.
1: Oh my gosh. Super clobberfests. Like, like you're going to die. You're going to die a lot of times. My life
0: cleric saw some things. And healed some things. And then healed some more things. And then was really glad that we made it through the end.
1: Yeah, like, so the at the... the undermountain opened two years ago the final encounter was a clockwork dragon uh that killed a bunch of people and then then the, the past open the the one from last year uh the final encounter was a zombie dinosaur a zombie t-rex that was approximately as big as a skyscraper that killed you know pretty much all the things
0: it also had zombies coming out of its
1: yes it was vomiting zombies and it's okay for us to talk about it because those events are over and the, you can't play them anymore so they're not it's not a spoiler
0: Correct. Okay. so sorry if you didn't get a chance to play those but good news if those weren't your style if you're not about that combat maybe you're not a combat good character maybe you really hate sitting at a table and everyone else dominating the game because your character's is not spectrite this D&D open was the open for you for starters for this one Everyone got a pregen. We were seated tables of six, and that's how future events that get it will also be done. There are six characters that are handed out. Um, choose them and, to...
1: they're, and they're pretty good pregens. Like, they God are... knows we've all said things about Wizards of the Coast pregens. God knows I've said things about Wizards of the Coast pregens. But these are really
0: good. They're really good pre-gens. I don't want to spoil what they are because a lot of people haven't played it yet. But, but it was fun. They were good pre-gens. I think, uh, I think the authors of the Open this year did a really good job on making sure that there was a lot of synergy between those pre-gens since it was a change from the normal. And after you get your pre-gens and you start playing, the first thing you do is not combat. The second thing you do it's, also not,
1: not, not, it's not combat. The
0: third, the fourth. There's barely any combat. True to the nature of the Dragon Heist storyline, there is a lot of role play, a lot of decision-making, a lot of improvisation. I problem-solving. And problem-solving. Pl- problem I played, um, a little bit about my experience, I played through... The D and D open with uh, a lovely group of guys that I had uh, not played with ever before. I just met them at Origins. Um, They're actually from Montreal, and they organize the D and D Adventurers League up there, which they're actually running uh, the Montreal Comic Con uh, this coming weekend, which will be the weekend right after July Fourth. In case this podcast is out after that, so it's probably already happened by the time you're hearing this. Uh, But Great guys. Uh, we really kind of synced up. We did some really great role play between our characters. Their backgrounds and stuff kind of meshed all in there. And it was a rollicking, fun time.
1: Now, and if you look at the event description on the Origins registration system or on the Gen Con registration system, I think it's probably running at Gen Con. Uh, it run- is.
0: It is not running at GenCon. However, it is also listed up on the Hole Con registration oh, system, right, which right. has gone live. Not registration, but the games list.
1: Yeah. Don't panic. The Con will be going going live before long too, and you'll be able to find it Soon. there.
0: Soon. It's also. Uh, it's going to be cons that I know so far. And sorry if I don't get yours on there. It's going to be at Tricon. It's going to be at. Uh, I believe strategic Con. it's going to be at Queen City Conquest and it's going to be at more cons than you can shake a stick at. If you're wondering if the open or the Red War epic are happening in your area, talk to the people organizing your convention, talk to the people organizing D&D in your area and just ask them to request it. Chances are, I mean, there's there's qualifications for getting either of those events. But the chances are good, so it'll be somewhere
1: in your area. The description of it, though, says, and so we're not giving anything away that you wouldn't find by registering for the event at a convention. So the the description says, plan the heist of the century. Amid violence in the streets of Waterdeep, six unlikely criminals plan the heist of the century, hoping to grab the key to a fortune in gold coins. So, it's a heist. Boy, is it. Boy, boy, is it a heist, yes. So, it's a really fun heist. And so, in many other events where you might have been focused on, hey, we have to get clear this level of bad guys, get to the end, kill the boss, and then grab the loot. This is not set up like that at all.
0: you got to do the sneaky things and do the sneaky stuff.
1: Lots of sneaky, tricky stuff.
0: And much like um, some of the uh, dandy-themed video games, if you're familiar with that, you've got to do it extra sneaky because you don't want the constabulary to be all up in your business.
1: Yes. So many of the... Probably wherever you play it, there will be a group of uniformed costume folks representing the constabulary of Waterdeep. And... uh and they become a significant presence in the game. Is that a fair way to put it, Jenny? So?
0: They become a delightful presence in the room. Yes. I don't know about in your area, but the constabulary at Origins, uh, they did like donuts. I don't know but if it really so, helped us
1: any, they but they like
0: appreciated the donuts. the donuts.
1: Yes, yes. So they, they become kind of a, a rival force to your gang, your particular gang. <laughs>
0: But uh, so that's pretty much like the D&D open, as far as we can tell you without giving it away, because I'd hate to spoil it for anybody because it's such a fun adventure. If you get a chance to play it, highly recommend it. It is, of course, an eight-hour adventure, uh, nine if you get a, an hour-long dinner break, which is the usual standard. Uh, your mileage may vary. But it is fun. If you've it had also-
1: a because it's, it's pre gens, that means brand new players can play. Like, eight hours is a lot of commitment for a brand new player. But uh, if you've never played D&D before, um, or if you've just seen it on Stranger Things or Critical Role and you really want to dive into it, go find your local convention and go sign up for the Gangs of Waterdeep. Because you can, you can play it without, without ever having played any D&D before. You're, if you are limited on your new rules knowledge, that will not be a problem here.
0: I think new players actually would probably be a boon to any group just because yeah. they're awesome ingenuity. Like, they don't know not to ask something. They don't think it's a silly question. And it's not! It's not a silly question or a silly idea. Some of the craziest ideas are the ones that
1: just might work. Yep. Oh, and I also want to point out, the fellows that wrote it are Sean Merwin, who's had a hand in every open been written so far for 5th edition. Um, James Intercasso, who was one of the authors of Dragon Heist and Will Doyle who has written a bunch for D&D Adventures League. He has written
0: um, several of the very recent seasonal epics. If you've played any of those you've probably run through one of the, the Will Doyle special events and they are all amazingly talented authors and creative and that creativity just shines through in this open. Okay, well that leads us kind of into the next special event, and Paige, I think you should really uh, kind of give the background on it because uh, your dear husband Ben was very involved in how the Red War came to yes.
1: be. In in fact, I uh, I che- I cheated. I talked to him about it a lot, and that's how I did my homework for the section. Uh, because that is one of the perks of being married to a fellow gamer. You guys so are so
0: cute. You should get married. <laughs> <We are laughs>
1: We are super in love. We will consider getting it. <laughs> uh, so the Red War is uh, the culmination of kind of a lot of different things going on in Adventures League and organized play. Uh, so w- we're in the end of Season 7 now, about to go into Season 8 with Dragon Humps. And way back in Season 2, which was three years ago, Jenny?
0: I think really, though, the whole thing goes all the way back to the beginning of adventures league with all the calamities happening why the calamity the cultist yeah, and then all the refugees to mall oh and-
1: you're right all right so so in the adventures league has roughly followed the books from wizards of the coast so in the first couple of books you had um A whole bunch of dragons doing basically terrible things to people, and it started a refugee wave throughout the Moon Sea. And a good portion of those refugees ended up in the town of Mulmaster, which is uh, a town on the west side of the Moon Sea. It's pretty large, has a very stable government. Uh, It's pretty—it's a pretty rough place to be. The government's mostly kind of neutral evil, lawful evil. So might makes right. The golden rule is that she who has all the gold makes the rules, but it's stable at least, and that that's something. Uh, so all these refugees end up in Mulmaster, particularly a lot of Zintaram refugees, and uh, and life goes on. Well, in season two, which was uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, uh, there was a. Um, an infestation in Mole Master of the cults of elemental evil. And what these cults did was basically just tear up portions of Mole Master by invoking uh, elemental devastation. And brave adventurers uh, fought back against all these different cults and ended up in a climactic battle called Mulmaster Undone, which was going to be the final push for the cultists to destroy the city, and the adventurers were trying to keep the city from being destroyed. Uh, devastation orbs were flying fast and furious, and it ended up with Mullmaster getting nearly destroyed. The harbor was certainly destroyed, and leaving these elemental rifts all throughout the city and these elemental rifts might be an area of churning earth and earthquakes that suck people down, or a firestorm that just cannot be put out, or a ravaging hurricane that is only about three blocks on a side and has lightning bolts that fries everything nearby. Um, or or areas where it's just a pouring torrent of water that covers a whole city block and then rolls down the, the city streets towards the ocean. So in the middle of this, obviously business does not go on as usual. There, The people starve because they can't get food in and out because the harbor's been blown up, the fishing fleet is gone. It is a bad, bad time for Molemaster. And in this situation, oh, the government could be forgiven to turning to any source for help. Well, unfortunately, the first people that came to offer significant help were the Red Wizards of, Thay. and if you don't know much dun, about dun, the, dun, 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 yes, if you don't know too much about Forgotten Realms. The Red Wizards of Thay are the bad guys. They're a, a highly lawful evil wizard order that's several hundred miles to the south uh, east of the Moonsea. And they showed up through a teleportation circle, and out of the goodness of their hearts, offered the um, governmental mole master offered them help to close down these elemental rifts. Goodness of their heart, right, Jenny? Because the fans are known for the goodness of their heart, right? I mean, I've played through Alan Patrick's adventure
0: Windows to the Past, which is available on the DMs Guild, so... I'm not so certain that it might not have had a little bit of self-serving interest
1: in it. Right, right. But the the, the Thaeans had money, they had labor. I mean, it was zombies, but you know, who's counting? Uh, but they had money, they had labor, and they had magical might. And they were going to rebuild Mulmaster, and they were going to shut down these rifts. So the government of Mulmaster invited them in, and the Thaeans closed off an area of the city into an enclave specifically for them. And in this area, they cleaned up the rifts, they rebuilt the buildings using you know, undead labor, sure, and uh, kept other people out of it. They were very resistant to being penetrated by representatives of the Emerald Enclave, the Lord's Alliance, the Harpers, the Order of the Gauntlet, and the zintarn Well, Thaytans are not known for their goodwill. And they are not known for their responsible environmental policies.
0: And some people don't take kindly to undead.
1: There's, a, you know, like some people just can't get over that. And in fact, the people who could not get over it were d and players who had sworn their affiliation to the Emerald Enclave. And so in rapid order, for not any particular reason other than a confluence of will at the right time... Facebook groups were built for each of the five factions. And uh, players gravitated to these groups and started talking in character about what their characters felt about the fans being there. And the finally, the uh, Emerald Enclave is just... They left. have had it up to here! Had it up to here! We can't take it no more! Um, they, uh, they put together... Uh, uh, their allies and said, we would like to declare war on the Red Wizards. And all of this is happening without any involvement from the D&D uh, Adventurers League admins. In fact, they, they weren't really even informed until it got to the point where the Emerald Enclave is ready to declare war. And at that point, uh, somebody alerted the admins that role play was going on, and uh, they jumped in to watch and listen and learn and try and figure out what people wanted. So there was a a flurry of uh, role play back and forth between the different groups and proclamations and uh, the fans ended up killing a couple of high level characters, uh, like not coming back sort of killing, like kill and reanimate. Like Tick Tanner Terry, God bless his soul. Tick Tanner Terry is dead. He's very dead. Quite dead. He was a Harper?
0: He No, Tick Tanner was the Emerald Enclave guy. Uh,
1: okay, alright, you're right. You're
0: the right. little gnome that started yeah. this whole
1: mess. So, uh, Tick Tanner Terry, one of the, the people who were agitating for this, his character was uh, killed off in a pretty much permanent fashion by, by events in the roleplay. and assassins! Uh, yes. And the, the D&D admins, I think rightfully, realized that they had something kind of magical on their hands here. They had a whole bunch of players, I mean a really few hundred, I think
0: good role play.
1: Yes. Who were who were really spun up over this and writing fiction and short stories about what their characters were doing. And so they decided that instead of doing whatever they had planned for the epic, instead they would write this epic called The Red War. Which is a war between the five main factions of Faerun. So that's the Harpers, the Emerald Enclave, the Order of the Gauntlet, the Zentarum, and the Emerald Enclave. Wait, I'm missing somebody. Did I get them all?
0: The Emerald Enclave, the Harpers, the Order of the Gauntlet, the Lords Alliance, Lords
1: Alliance, and the Zentarum Black Network. Yes. Every blade, a black blade. So there are a few hundred people that are really spun up over this, and they're putting a lot of their enthusiasm into it, and so the result of that was that the admins uh, asked Alan Patrick, who's one of the admins, who's been particularly active and interested in the thay Mulmaster storyline, to write an epic, and that is The Red War. And the, the plot of this is that um, well, uh, basically the uh, characters are going in to get civilians out of the crossfire, because that's kind, to try and deal with some of the elemental... The remains of the elemental cults. Because those guys are like cockroaches. You just can't kill them. And to save as much of the city as you can.
0: Right. If you can.
1: And then the high-level teams are sent in... To basically bust some Than heads.
0: Right. Now, it was a little bit more than Alan working on it. Not to, to oh, take yeah. any credit away from Alan. But there was also this really cool... Uh, net. Website that was going up alongside all of this role play on the Facebook groups. Now, if you go to it right now, it just has the final missive from Darlin Ma on it, which is really great. I highly recommend reading it. Uh,
1: Darlin Ma is the um, is the Thayan representative from Master, I believe.
0: That is correct. correct. So, if you go back and read that, you can um, search Facebook or. I'll I'll try to actually get a compilation of all the missives because I know someone's put together and link that in the show notes. But there was a lot, a lot of uh, dialogue back from the fans and the hawks and everything, the uh, leadership of Mallmaster, as it were, leading up to the Red War. So it was a really um, intense, like, player-driven effort. But there was a lot of back and forth. There was a lot of
1: involvement. It was really exciting. And it's, it, what turns people on, I think, is the ability for their characters' actions and their characters' choices to change the game world.
0: Yes. And that was huge for so many people. Now, so it's run at Origins, and the game world is going to change, but it's going to keep running, again, just like the Open. Many other conventions, many other things. Um, many, many people across the globe will get a chance to participate in the red war.
1: Yeah, I, I, don't know how they're doing it. I know in past iterations of the organized play system, they waited till X Mini cons had run it and then determined the official results from there. I, like, <laughs> I, like I said, I don't know how they're doing it. No, I'm not,
0: I'm past. not, I'm not sure either. But I know that they are, um, you know, definitely taking feedback, definitely paying attention to it. And um, the player base is being heard. I mean, that's how this whole thing came about. Now, um, I don't know how much more you have about the Red War, but i got a little bit of information about organized play for our listeners who might be really oh, confused yeah. right now.
1: Yeah, let's talk about organized
0: play. All right, so we've been talking about the Red War, which is this huge thing in organized play and the Adventurers League, but not everyone knows what that even is or has participated in it. So um, for those listeners who aren't involved in Adventurer's League, which is the fifth edition iteration of the Wizards D&D organized play campaign. So what is organized play, right? So D&D, traditionally you think of it, you got a group of friends, you got your dungeon master, you got your D&D game. And that's great. It's fun. It's awesome. That is the heart and core of D&D. That's how we do it. Organized play is you have your friends, you have your DM, you run your game, you follow uh, a couple of guidelines and stuff to keep a is shared,
1: really yeah, common sense guidelines. Like they... they're they're
0: the things that a good DM is
1: probably already asking you to do.
0: Uh, So, it's a shared global campaign. So, you follow a couple of rules, uh, easily found on the Adventurers League website, uh, dndadventurersleague.org, if uh, anyone's interested in getting involved with the Adventurers League, and you log your session. Boom! You are now part of a shared global campaign. What that means, and this is the really cool part to me, you could take your character that you just played in your friend's Adventurers League home game, you could play it, At any store in your town, playing Adventurers League, you could play it at any convention offering Adventurers League. You could take it to another country. You could take it to a cruise ship. You could play it in a basement and an attic. If they get some astronauts to the moon who want to play Adventurers League, you could play it there.
1: All you got to do. The the problem with D and D, like we all love D and D, right? But you can't take generally your character from your home game and then go play it in your sister in law's home game.
0: And oh. you can't take
1: a character from your sister-in-law's home game and then go and play it at Gen Con.
0: My sister would not would not want my home character in her game. <laughs> she doesn't like gnomes. I don't know what her really? problem is. No, she she's fine with gnomes. She doesn't like D and D. Well, <laughs> that's,
1: that's <laughs> that, a little harder to do. That's with. a
0: whole separate problem. We play board games and we get along fine. Well,
1: but that's...
0: but you can take your D and D character. You keep gaining your experience. You keep leveling it up as you play games at all of these varied places and the story is all of you together. Everyone in the globe is playing the same stories. You're all involved in this shared world. So you could play the hardcover books that everyone else has access to and you can also play each season, which we've mentioned that term several times, kind of accompanies one of the books that Wizards has put out. So we're now going into the 8th season. So that'll be the 8th book. Uh, there was the who of the Dragon Queen, Rise of Tiamat season. There was the Princess of Apocalypse, Elemental Evil season. Out of the Abyss, Rage of Demons season. Uh, Curse, of Curse of Strahd, Ravenloft season. Uh, Storm King's Thunder season. Uh, Tales of the Yawning Portal season. And then... Um, Tomb of Annihilation season. Now we're getting ready for the Waterdeep season.
1: And super excited about it.
0: I so am the, very the excited.
1: The you get for uh, Adventurously, you can buy them on the DM's Guild. They're just like 3 or 4 bucks usually. Um, but they are... Um, they're really pretty good. Like, I, I run a lot of homebrew, and I like homebrew more than anything. But when you're busy and you don't have time... To run a whole lot of homebrew, they're super useful. Plus, they're serialized, so they're kind of like a TV show. So each adventure is kind of an an entire story in and of itself, but it links to the to the next adventure in the series and the uh, and into the book in a way where you can you can kind of see the meta plot between them.
0: Right, and it's it's great, too, because with them each being kind of standalone things you can play sequentially or play in any order, really, it involves players to get that drop-in, drop-out.
1: Yeah, so useful for the busy professionals, like, hey, I can play this Thursday, but I can't play next Thursday.
0: Hey, I'm going to be in San Jose for a week, let me go down to Game Castle and play, for, you know, you can do it. Or maybe you're gonna be in Dallas or wherever wherever you're gonna be you can drop in and play one game meet some great people and then tell them peace out thank you
1: yep and a lot of stores will do adventures league as a way to just have content that people can can do whenever they want like in Atlanta which is sort of like the bright Chinese center of the universe uh, we have one store that runs of the south yes uh, so we have one store in the north side of town that runs about 15 or 20 tables every Wednesday night of Adventures League stuff. Gigabytes. Gigabytes. Mark, Mark Buffington. <laughs> yes. It organizes it, but it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, we've got a very similar, vibrant community in Knoxville. Uh, we don't have a store that can fit 15 tables, but we have Adventurers League running almost every single night. Of the week at one of our stores, one of our locations. Uh, anywhere between 1 and 5 tables happening at a store at the same time on any given night.
1: And that's, you know, and that's just Atlanta and Knoxville, but there's also a huge online community.
0: A huge you... convention community. Uh, other cities have vibrant communities. You can join a number of Facebook groups online to find uh, game stores and conventions in your region in your uh, smaller local region like your city area uh, conventions happening in wherever your part of the world is there is so many opportunities to find Adventurers League
1: and one of them will be will be just right for you if you're interested in joining up like I said, it doesn't really replace a good home game, but it's kind of like it's kind of like speed dating for gamers. It's a good way to meet new people, make some friends, and find some people who might be the right person for your next home game.
0: Yeah, if you're looking if you're new to somewhere and you're looking for players to start a home game, like if that's your jam, Adventurers League is a great way to get out there to get involved with the community, to meet those friends that will become your new best friends that will play your crazy, zany home game shenanigans. Yep. I, I've met all of my best friends, really, through Adventurers League. Yeah, um,
1: I'm, I'm that kind of nerd too. That's you know, that's
0: I shouldn't good. say really, yes. I've li- literally met all of my best friends through Adventurers League. <laughs> but yeah, um, so, I think that really kind of wraps up our Origins Recap though, right Paige?
1: I think so, um, yeah, I think that's about it. so jenny just to let our listeners learn a little bit more about you you've been playing DD since high school right
0: yeah no i actually have i got my first start with actual D&D back in high school i've been a fantasy and all of that nerds since I can ever remember, but I played a little bit of something that vaguely resembled 3rd uh, edition 3.5 back in high school. What I really did, though, was got started on it in college. My good friend Katie Cole played us through some 4th edition encounters, and that was a lot of fun.
1: And and when did you get involved with 5e?
0: I got involved with 5e at the very beginning of it, with the D&D Next playtest, which I think that's uh, probably when you got involved with it too, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was part of a playtest group in Atlanta.
0: Yeah, so we've both kind of been doing the, the playtesting thing and, you know, getting involved with the scene. When did you start d and D? I know it was before high school for you.
1: Well, I you know, it was probably before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> So I I was a weird kid, and I liked books about monsters, and uh, I remember we had just moved to Atlanta, so that had to be 1982, and we were in a physical bookstore, which is something we had back in 1982, and uh, I saw a book. A box on the shelf with a monster on the front and I'm like, mom, mom, buy me the monster book. And, I, and she did. And I was very confused to find out it had nothing to do with monsters and it was a game and none of my girlfriends wanted to play so I bullied my brother and his stinky little friends into playing D&D with me. I was the DM.
0: Oh, and that was... Tons of fun, though, I bet, though.
1: Oh, yeah, it was great fun. Actually, uh, most of the, the kids that I was playing D&D with still play occasionally uh, now and then. And uh, my brother and I, even though we didn't get, don't get a chance to play D&D with each other very often, uh, both still play D&D. All
0: right, so we've both been playing for a long time in the span of our lives. But how did you really get involved with uh, so organized play in the conventions and stuff like you do?
1: So, uh, I I got divorced from my first husband, and I was looking to make some new friends and to get out and to travel, and the first year after I was divorced, I went to 26 conventions and played D&D a whole lot, and that was part of the 3.5 Living Greyhawk uh, D&D scene, and I made some great friends, many of whom are still great friends today, and uh, I was I was full force into organized play, because it was a great way to just meet a lot of new people. What about you?
0: Yeah, so that's kind of similar, but not really, how I got involved with, so, I mean, just going to conventions and stuff kind of was a natural progression of diving headlong into the hobby. Uh, getting involved with organizing conventions is all your fault, and <laughs> <laughs> I know, you dragged me into it at Dragon Con. poor little Red Riding Hood,
1: they. Actually, actually, this yeah, is a funny story. Yeah, so, tell the story. Uh, my husband, Ben Heisler, and I were running D&D Adventures League at DragonCon, and it was the first year DragonCon had, or the second year, Dragon Con had an epic for Adventures League, and there were like 200 no, yeah. people signed up outside the, the D&D room waiting to get in, and Ben and I were kind of overwhelmed. And Jenny came up dressed like Little Red Riding Hood,
0: it had to have been the first year, though, because it was the Corruption of Crypt Garden epic. I remember because um, my boyfriend at the time, Keith, knew how to get tickets, and I didn't. So he got to
1: play. Oh, okay. So we have this terrifying line outside. Ben and I aren't really sure what to do. And Jenny came up, and she's like, oh, I can get that line organized for you. And Jenny is about, she's very small. Like, she's a very petite person. I'm mean, no. a You are, you are. And so she went outside and then shut the doors so we didn't see what happened. And then Ben went over and opened the doors about 10 minutes later and everybody was lined up in order, alphabetized by character name. I still don't know what happened, and I don't think those people know what happened.
0: Okay, so it wasn't by character name, and it was definitely by sorcery, but they were all single file, elbows touching the wall, grouped by level, perfectly ready, generics way in the back, and like definitely not breaking the fire code,
1: which was important. Right, right. Start of a beautiful friendship
0: yeah no, that was it. and you and Brooks y'all roped me in and it's basically quicksand you can't expect. yes yes.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely so tell 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 our folks about some of the conventions that you run uh,
0: well short version the well, I don't want to say any of them aren't important, but the important ones that I do, like, th- mostly the whole thing for are definitely uh, Save Versus Hunger, the an- annual charity convention that we have in the Knoxville area to raise money for Second Harvest Food Bank, uh, raised $18,000 last year. Great little event. Uh, highly recommended if you're anywhere in the area. Uh, Lisa Chen actually did a community spotlight for it on the Adventure Sleep page. Uh, and then I do. Um, Momocon. I am now the director for the roleplay games track, or whatever they want to call it. Their track. Everything's a track for conventions. Uh, so I organize Adventures League. I kind of let Pathfinder organize their own stuff, and I just kind of corral the rest of them. But we have a huge, uh, great gaming hall there. I kind of help out with a variety of other conventions throughout the southeast and really anywhere in the world that says hey can you help me because you know i'm i can't say no to that kind of question of course i can't and then uh, one more that i really do a lot with is in cleveland tennessee post apocalypticon and it's in the fall kind of opposite save versus hunger It's a small one down in cleveland there but a lot of good people again halfway between atlanta and knoxville so it's a good mesh you do a lot more conventions, though.
1: Well, I, you know, it kind of depends on the year and the other writing projects we have in hand. Uh, for the past uh, three or four years, Ben and I have been doing all the D&D Adventurers League at DragonCon. And DragonCon is a huge fantasy convention in Atlanta. It's about 85 or 90,000 people. And we have a couple of thousand, maybe, come through the D and D Adventurers League. Definitely, um, no
0: more than eighty thousand, if the fire marshal ever asked, By the way, guys.
1: Correct, correct. Yes, eighty thousand. I mean, and uh, but we have passed that on this year to other people to run it because it's, it'll, uh, you know, it took years off of our lives every time we ran it. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we're passing period. it on. To, on to new people.
0: Yep, Michael Roderick and Adam Dittmer are running the show there this year. Yep. And if you're friends with me on Facebook or if you start following me right now or anytime before DragonCon, you're going to see me posting a lot about it as well, kind of trying to help them out, connect them with some DMs and resources and stuff yep. like that. It's a it's a group effort, but They are in charge of the show. Yep, amen. Not my rodeo.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, though I'm looking, Ben and I are certainly helping and advising. Uh, Additionally, Ben and I run uh, Secret Mission Con every January. It's a chance for people all around the Southeast to come to Atlanta and focus on adventures that have secret missions. And uh, generally once a year, uh, though the time is highly variable, Ben and I will do a weekend in someplace convention where we run a book uh, in a whole weekend. So far we have done uh, uh, Weekend in Barovia, and we ran Curse of Strahd in a weekend, we've done Weekend with Giants, and we ran uh, Storm King's Thunder in a weekend, and this fall... We're gonna look at running Weekend in Waterdeep and run all of Dragon Heist in a weekend. So it's uh, 13 tables and you're all kind of working on the same objectives. It's a a different feel than just running the book uh, leisurely with your home game group Um, and uh, another way to experience the content for fun.
0: Yeah, and I... I haven't had the chance to get down to one of those but all my friends who have gone and said that they are just a kind of a a really fun thing because you get that high energy in the room collaborating with everyone yeah but you mentioned writing projects it's funny you should mention that i have a bunch of writing stuff i do and you do too so um in case anyone knows us from that i have worked on um, a lot of convention created content stuff actually the first one that has my name is an author is going to be premiering at dragon con coming up um i produce that along with mount ogden gaming company and it's my first author credit with them but i've done a lot of editing and story development stuff and finding authors and connecting them with conventions and all that general boring behind the scenes necessary work um and then i have done some stuff that's been published on the DMs Guild with Jeff Stevens, uh, some editing for some other people on the DMs Guild as well. And uh, I am recently a guild adept, which is pretty cool and quite an honor. Uh, So I've been working on some projects for that. Mostly so far, you've seen my name on editing stuff again. Uh, Available for editing, by the way, I guess, if anybody needs me.
1: (laughs) that and you have some really sharp eyes so you've uh, definitely helped out a lot of people
0: yeah no but you um and your husband have done some great work and i'm sure you've got other secret things in the maybe i do too who knows
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my husband and i developed the elmwood uh uh adventures for Baldman games for dragon haunt con which are convention created content they're uh, tier two so that's level five through ten and we have redeveloped the little tiny boring town of elmwood in the south uh, east corner of the moon sea and have started all kinds of adventure paths there some of that stuff is on the dms guild now the others in editing with baldman games and that usually premieres at Dragon DragonCon, uh, that we had some at Origins last year. Uh, additionally, Ben and I were asked to write 5.2, uh, DDAL 5.2, The Black Road, which is a, a fun little mod that was kind of a starter mod for Season 5. And we have some stuff coming out later.
0: And you did some stuff in what a lot of people will think of as ancient history because it's not this edition. You wrote.
1: Some- oh, yeah, yeah. Ben and I wrote uh, some for 4th ed, and then I did uh, some meta organizational stuff for Grand March for 3rd ed, as well as for Dave Arneson's Blackmore for 3rd ed.
0: I mean, yeah, so we've both been pretty active, I guess, in the, in the writing community, convention organizing, and all of that. Let's see. I mean it's gotta be just in other stuff uh so
1: what else would our listeners want to know about you Jenny how about what is your favorite fifth edition adventure that's that's something good
0: that is a good question I think we talked about this before so I kind of unlike a lot of people who are like fifth edition adventure and they're just like blurt one out I sort it into two because my mind works that way so if I want to run a short adventure I got like two hours or so. I am gonna probably pop out thousand tiny deaths. That's one of my. Why? Favorite
1: why do you like that one?
0: It's got my favorite monster in it.
1: What is your favorite monster?
0: About forty kobolds at once. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you, Travis Woodall. (laughs) Yes,
1: 40 kobolds all at once will teach any adventuring party uh, without fireball uh, an important lesson.
0: 40 might be an exaggeration for that, but (laughs) it has a lot of kobolds, and kobolds are fun. But that kind of ties into so, my favorite full length, I guess, adventure path or book or whatever terminology you like to use for them is of the Dragon Queen. I've ran it. A lot of times it's got a lot of flavor that I like. It's your traditional high fantasy dragons, oh god the world is ending type of d adventure. Uh, we're the heroes. And it has a lot of kobolds. It's also got my favorite <laughs> single monster.
1: <laughs> I which think is?
0: Which is a roper.
1: Oh, Mr. Roper.
0: It's kind of the same reason I like 40 kobolds so In that it comes out of nowhere and really gets you
1: yeah yeah you can run but you're just gonna die tired
0: yeah so I mean I think that really says a lot too about my D style <laughs> if you've ever played with me and the people who I've taught D&D at MomoCon or any of the other cons uh, show no mercy but have all the fun
1: yes yes you will a die fun.
0: the most victorious a- and fun death
1: yeah 40 kobolds will do it <laughs>
0: Okay, maybe like fourteen. Let's just right
1: still, down. still plenty. <laughs> my my favorite one of the short adventures is Cloaks and Shadows by Will Doyle, which is a great adventure because it starts off with uh, you being framed for a crime you did not commit. So you have to kind of a team your way across town and uh, clear your name. It's really a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and that one's in Ballmaster. That's a pretty cool city
1: yeah yeah lots of lots of things going on my favorite uh my favorite book has to be out of the abyss um and there's a lot of reasons for it but um it kind of starts off for the with the characters in a position of significant disadvantage as well and uh and it's got yinagu in it and i'm really into Knowles, and yinagu is in out of the abyss at least briefly
0: I was going to say, it's mostly just because of the gnolls, isn't
1: it? I do like gnolls a whole lot!
0: It's also a really easy adventure to insert goats into.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Goats are super important, and uh, you know those Underdark goats, they're around there all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, to anyone who's not aware, anybody listening, if you want to watch (laughs) Paige's favor and my favor and a couple of our other really good friends' favor, write a goat adventure.
1: Goats are goats are the best. Goats are the best.
0: They're badass. <laughs> <laughs> I won't apologize. That was that was terrible, but I'm not.
1: <laughs> No. Never apologize. Never apologize. No mercy and never apologize.
0: No mercy, no shame. No. Uh, so though, I mean I think that kinda like in a nutshell really gives our listeners a quick overview of who we are. So, and
1: what we're capable of. And
0: what we're capable of. Oh, no, I thought of one thing. This is kind of an important one. So what does d mean to you? Why is it important?
1: Whew. So I have been, I am 47, and I have been playing d d for most of my life. And uh, it actually has been my primary way to make friends and new people uh, and meet new people. Uh, I moved around a lot during graduate school. And uh, I knew that I could always go to a new place and look for people who played D&D, and I would, I would find people who who would become my friends. And uh, I owe d and a life debt, because that is how I have met nearly all of my friends. And uh, I have to pay it back. I want to make this game as fun for everybody else as it was for me.
0: I totally relate to that, though. So, I mean, I've gone through, you know i mean we've all gone through things in our life and i would definitely say actually i did say just the other day to, to my you know my good friend jay the Adventurers league community here in knoxville and really all of the people that i've met through it they're my family everyone that i've met is important to me has had a you know significant role in my life um, maybe i interacted with you briefly at a convention but the people you meet at conventions, the people you meet in your local games, the people you end up traveling with, that's the beauty of D&D to me. Like, I don't think I have quite as much of a life debt as you, not yet. I'm totally adding it to my tab every day we go along. <laughs> but like, I don't think I would be who I was and where I am in life without it, especially... Yeah. All of the the fifth edition stuff it's it's brought me a lot of experiences that I would have never otherwise had I've met so many great people I've been to so many great places and I kind of same as you I want to give back to the community that's kind of why I do what I do I Organize conventions. I bring D and D to the masses. I write adventures. Hopefully, that the masses are gonna love. It remains to be seen. I don't like. I, I did get a really good review on the encounter I wrote. <laughs> good. Five star. You know,
1: it, it's funny though because D and D has long had a reputation of being a hobby for people who are loners and you get all these stupid stereotypes about, you know, playing in your mom's basement or whatever. But it's funny because it actually is a game that is super conducive to going to game shops and meeting people or going to, you know, other games on college campus and meeting people or, you know, finding people on meetup or Facebook or what have you to play different games with. And it's a great, yeah, it's just a great social experience.
0: No, absolutely, one hundred percent great social experience. Like, I I can't recommend it any more than I. I mean, I I maybe could, but then I would literally never shut up about D D. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll know when either of us wins the lottery. All of a sudden, we'll be in possession of a goat farm, and it'll be nonstop Dungeons and Dragons.
0: I don't have a goat farm in real life. But I have a city full of goats for helpful citizens in the D&D world. And by you me, know what? I mean, by me, I mean Calypso.
1: It is a way to make dreams come true.
0: Come play a game in Flan with Calypso and get your free goat. <laughs> 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 Alright, well, enough about us, though. I think that's probably... Gonna be like a good wrap for the show tonight. We've already talked about all the stuff from origins, the upcoming stuff,
1: and, and Dragon Heist.
0: Dragon Heist. Oh, I am hyped! All right. Yeah, it's gonna be great. So, Paige, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you?
1: You can find me on Facebook. I kind of live there. And it's uh, Paige Lightman. And that's P-A-I-G-E-L-E-I-T-M-A-N. Or on Twitter at Page Lightman. You can what find about you, Jenny?
0: <laughs> you can find me, similarly, under my same name, on Facebook. Jenny Loveday. That's G I N N Y, L O V E. D-A-Y on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. Or if you're one of those people who likes Instagram, we're gonna switch it up. It's at G underscore Love Day Page. Where can you find the show?
1: You can find us on Twitter at D, the letter N D round table, or on Facebook at the D D round table.
0: You can also send your comments, feedbacks, and whatever to us via email at d, the letter n d d, roundtable, at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time. We hope to have some more exciting news for you.
1: And, and some fun guests.
0: And some very special guests. Thanks for listening.
1: And we'll see you next time on the D&D Roundtable.